Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Go. All right, Keith. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning, man. I am loving this weather. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Did you get like 40? I had 49 degrees at my house. Yeah, it was it was under 50 for sure. I knew that I'd been out for a little bit, and I, I finally looked, and it was 50. So This is God's weather. Yes, it is an absolute <laughs> blessing. Something happens inside of my spirit in this cooler fall weather. I'm totally convinced when the kingdom finally comes in its fullness, <laughs> this is going to be the low, mid-70s yeah. for the high, and no humidity. That's right. All over the world. <laughs> yeah. So uh, heaven is going to be in San Diego then, apparently. Yes, yeah. yes, I believe that. Yeah. Absolutely. San Diego, I'm there. Maybe we should move there as a foretaste of the there kingdom. <laughs> All right, uh, got to ask you, um, your football coach? Yeah. Onside kick, because those who maybe listen to this, I'm still, my soul's disturbed from the Falcons' loss on yeah. Sunday. Uh, end of the game. Let's just be clear, though, that onside kick did not lose the game allowing humpteen thousand points in the second half, lost the game. Uh, So let's just be clear there. However, if you're on the front line of the receiving team on a kickoff, onside kick, do you have to wait for the ball to go 10 yards before you jump on it? You better not. You better not. You better better, uh, sort of anticipate that a bit and jump on that thing. That's right. Asking my high school football playing sons, uh, they didn't want to watch the game. They got football is their life at this point. So uh, after right. they were doing something else, I remember what they were doing. I was focused on the game, not paying attention to my family. And so we were asking after the game, okay, boys, your receiving team, front line, onside kick, what do you do? Jump on it. And yeah, <laughs> I'm going pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. We're between high school and professional level to yep. lose that. But if I'm being paid five million to coach that and several million to play it, I would imagine that you've worked through that scenario so as to not stand around the ball waiting for it to go ten yards as a receiving team. I, I, yeah, I'm, that, I'm I'm lost. That should be the drill that you do once a week. Yeah. Since you're five. All the way through the pros. That's not something you, you ever oh. stop learning. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I don't buy that they froze. You're a professional football player. Most of those guys around it have been in the league. They weren't rookies. Yeah. They had to know that. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. insane. They're, all of those guys were the best of the best all their lives. Yeah. By the time you get to that level. We're, talking to, we're going to talk today about false assurance. We're talking about cultural Christianity. There's some false assurance that you're a professional football player. (laughs) (laughs) Sign number one, one, you don't know what to do on an onside kick. I mean, that's that's sign number one. You are not in the fraternity. Yeah, you are falsely believing. (laughs) That's that right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm still smarting over that, but that's okay. Uh, we live to play another day, I guess, right? Well, that's one of the joys of, of the fall. Um, mm-hmm. Football starting is the good days and the bad days, but it's still, uh, you know, uh, yeah, a good day in the fall is, even if your team loses, it's still a great day. It is. It is because it's still football, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you get to do it again next week. Yeah. And high school football's coming, college is coming. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. All right. Down to business. Yeah. That was pretty good business. I like football. It's, important, it's very important. Uh, we're talking about false assurance, and we're dealing with cultural Christianity. And man, there's so much water under the bridge in our discussion here. There's so many things, and it's almost an infinitely deep topic. 
But one of the challenges we find here is uh, where we are is a false assurance that somehow I am when potentially I am not a Christian, right? And I think you, you preached on this yeah. in our church on Sunday, the passage that continues to, uh, it causes me to reflect is Matthew seven twenty one to 23, where the Lord said, not everybody who calls me Lord uh, and, and, and believes uh, in some manner with their words that I'm Lord uh, is going to be in the kingdom. He said, they're going to come and say, Lord. Did we not do all these mighty works? He talks about casting out demons, doing all kinds of work, and did it in his name. And the Lord's response is, I don't know you. Mm-hmm. That's sobering, yeah. which means I can do spiritual stuff and not know Jesus. And and the fact that I did spiritual stuff is a false assurance. Right. Yeah. So my gosh, Keith. Well, there's all, sorts of, um, there's all sorts of implications about that verse. One of the things that's most striking to me is that the, the Lord... In fact, he deals with them in a way that, um, I mean, it's just utter rejection. Right. Not like, I mean, he, he basically calls them workers of lawlessness. Right. So, I mean, that smarts. Yeah. You, you got these folks who were engaged in, they were engaged in work for the kingdom. Now, my sneaking suspicion is that they knew all along they were doing it for the wrong reason. Right. I um, I don't believe that a person can genuinely feel like they've committed their heart to Christ to get there. And then, and then him tell them, I never knew you. I feel like something in the back of these people's minds, mm. there was, was, knew that they held something back. And then they hear that you're a worker of lawlessness. Mm. So God, you know, Jesus is calling them the judge on the last day. He's telling them, look, this, none of the stuff that you guys were doing right. was ever about me. Right. It was always for some other mm. self-fulfilling purpose and uh, you know you have to work through that as a as an individual you have to work through why am i doing the things that i'm doing mm. i think initial initial initially right not be that clear right but um the thing is what this highlights to me the first thing i want to mention is it highlights that our our assertion or our um, um assurance of salvation is based on christ's work mm. Not on anything I'll ever do. Absolutely. I can't do anything. It doesn't matter how many committees I get on. or Right. It just doesn't matter. We, our salvation is bought by the, the, the person and work of Christ. The perfect man, God-man, died, buried, resurrected right. to newness in life. It's his life that we tap into. Absolutely. Right? So the person who's not saved, right? no matter how kind they are, right? no matter how much good work they do, they're a worker of lawlessness. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good people are, are basically, if you're not in the category of redeemed in Christ, right? it doesn't matter how good you are, you're a worker of lawlessness. Yeah, that's so sobering. You know, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, let us encourage one another every day as long as it's called today so that we might not be um, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deceptive. And one of the one of the devastating consequences of sin is it clouds our ability to see truth from error. Right. And so if person if a person hasn't dealt with their sin, if they if they haven't come to Christ for him to deal with their sin, there are all manner of deceits. The enemy is, uh, you know, Paul even talks about Second Corinthians, uh, them making sure that they come together and, and, and do this thing right so that they're not outwitted by Satan and his schemes. He's a schemer, right? And so he schemes to keep us in the dark. So I can see in, in these instances, good people doing good work. 
uh, and and completely out schemed by the evil one because somehow Jesus hasn't been in the forefront. Well, that's that's one of the reasons that it's important for us to draw our worldview from the scriptures because there's a sense in which he reads us as a human being and go, "Gosh, that's harsh." Yeah, yeah. I mean, feels mean. Yeah, worker of lawlessness. Come right. On. I mean. Is that really right. necessary? Well, the truth is, that is how holy God is. That's right. And that is how completely and utterly uh, unable we are to get our salvation from good things that we do. That's right. Even once we're born again. Right. Once a person is legitimately born again and raised to life in Christ, and we begin to grow like we're supposed to, we begin to become more kind maybe or we treat our wives differently than we did before and by the power of the spirit we're able to do good things those good things aren't what saves us right that's right they're not they're just not it's it's the miraculous work of god in us that moves us from one category to the other that's why we're saved we're never saved by anything that we could ever do. That's right. So false assurance can be a barrier to the gospel. Mm-hmm. One of those you're you're talking about uh, I think a chief uh, barrier right now is good works. Good works are a false assurance. Mm-hmm. So I can I can do good things and say I have to be a Christian because I did good things, and that is a false assurance because good things are not what make me a Christian. Right. Yeah. My acceptance to God has nothing to do with my performance. Mm-hmm. Now, make no mistake, performance is going to be there, but it's not front end. Yeah. It's backside, right? Yeah. An apple. Um an apple, it's not an apple because it's red and because it tastes like an apple. No, it's right. an apple yeah. first, yeah. which causes it to be red and to taste like an apple. It's the difference between being and sort of a doing or, a, or, a, or characteristics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you never get one without the other. That's right. You don't get an apple that doesn't, you know, genetically or whatever. Right. Prove itself to be an apple. That's right. But it's one comes before the other. We're we have a regenerated heart. That's right. We do good things. That's right. Um, but we certainly don't do enough good things for our heart to become good. That's right. Because it's absolutely impossible. It starts on the inside and works its way out. So that's a false assurance. Um, some some other false assurances that are common to where we are. One of those that we want to talk about is the idea of an altar call. Now, if somebody's listening to this, that's not from where we are. And I know we have people listening in, in some crazy places. This idea of an altar call may be totally foreign to them. And they, that language won't even land on them what that means. So what is an altar call and why is it a false assurance? Well, I'll let you answer that as the pastor. Oh, the pastor oh, of, of a church, oh, there typically isn't right. The altar call. Right. I think probably. In the church that you grew up in, you probably right. had altar calls. I certainly did. Right. Pretty, pretty much every church I ever went to right. had an altar call. And I can remember um, I can remember going to a service for the first time, and they didn't call for a decision. Right. And I thought to myself, boy, these guys have lost it. Right. They're being unfaithful. <laughs> right. Unregenerate. They didn't, give, they didn't even give people an opportunity to come down and profess faith. Right. 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 Why does Three Rivers not do an altar call? I could go down a rabbit hole here theologically for a second, but the the altars is is something that was in the temple in the Old Testament, right? right? And so um, let me just skip forward to a New Testament idea. You and me together are now the temple. So there is no altar. Amen, right? So the Holy Spirit dwells in us through repentance and faith. But but what happens in in our context is we, we have a building and we... Somewhere there's a front, mm-hmm. there's a front from the back and down at the front, 
either benches or something we've designated as a place for meeting God. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the pastor will be there or a visiting preacher, and it's a place to come and, and be public with any kind of decision we make. So it's kind of symbolic of going to God. So they would, in the Old Testament, they would go to the temple, inside the temple's the altar, and these priests would 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 function uh, is their mediator between God and them. And there's an altar that represents all of that. And so we've taken that imagery and put it inside our physical buildings as a place symbolically where we meet God. Now, that's not evil. It's yeah. not wrong. Right. You can but make, it, the Bible talks about making spiritual sacrifices. That's right. Know, even in the New Testament. So That's right. But it's also for someone who doesn't have the background we have in studying this stuff mm-hmm. could, could draw some false conclusions yeah. that, it's necessary to have an altar when in fact, no, the altar is in me because I am the sacrifice. I am the living sacrifice. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And so the idea that there's a physical altar can be misleading. Right. And so what would happen historically, we would take that place and, and, and that was a place we called people to public decision making. So the gospel be presented. And if they believe that, they would come down and present themselves to God at that place. And it became a place of decision. Mm-hmm. Huh? And it really is something that happened late in the church. Yes. I did not realize this, but it yeah. was uh, really late or early 1800s yeah. that this notion of having an altar call even began, where you basically, as, a, as someone leading this service. Right. Um, and, you know, it happened during the Great Awakenings and that kind of thing. Guys like Charles Finney would, would make a call. Right. Like, now's the time. Today's the day of your salvation, which it right. may be. Right. But people would come down, and then the next thing you know, salvation and and your your um, right standing before God is sort of boils down to a decision that you made when maybe you were nine years old or six years old or or thirty, right? But it was it instead of a um, instead of a lifelong commitment change in who you are over right. time, right? Um, it became something, a decision that you made when you asked Jesus into your heart as a nine-year-old. And because you did, mm-hmm. and because once saved, always saved, Right. it doesn't matter what your life looks like after that decision. Right. You feel like, and even have been told probably in places, that your salvation is sure. Right. And you, did, you, did you walk the aisle when you were nine? Yes. Yeah. Um, can you lose your salvation? No. Right. Well, then you're saved. Then you're saved, right. And that sounds logically absolutely infallible, but it's got some problems in it, right? And I remember growing up in church here, growing up not a Christian but attending church, watching people go to the altar and lose their minds emotionally yes. and then go right back to what they had done yeah. that caused them to go to the altar in the first place yeah. and thinking, is that effective? Right. And, and, and how and, and is this real and what should what should we be doing? And, that, and and so your question was, why don't we have that in our church? And it's primarily because there's no New Testament mandate nor evidence. And neither is there in church history back until, you know, a couple hundred years yeah. ago for any such practice whatsoever. Right. Uh, in fact, the call is, is to repentance and faith, and that can be done anywhere. That's right. Yeah, and it's something that if the Holy Spirit draws you, if you're in a service on a Sunday afternoon and it's it's twelve o'clock, preacher makes a call, and because of a, you know, because of what, so if it's genuine, the Holy Spirit is calling you, and the, and the Holy Spirit's saying, Thompson, 
Yeah. This is real. Right. He opens your eyes. He opens your ears. You see your own sin. You see the the depravity of it all, and you see the glory of what Christ has done for you. Right. Whether you make that, whether you walk down the aisle that day, or whether you are addressed with it in in the next week, or it delays for the next month. Right. It will not go away. That's right. Like there's no there's no you know witching hour that like if you <laughs> right. come down now. Right. You may lose this thing that, that God's doing in you. No. When he opens your eyes and opens your ears, it never goes away. That's right. It's because it's a miracle. It's like it's a real thing. It's not like Jesus tells Lazarus to come out of the grave. Lazarus comes out of the grave, but if he if he once he comes out, if he goes back in, like he won't be alive anymore. No, he's he's raised. Right. It's once and for all. It's done. Yep. And that's the way salvation is. That's the way it's portrayed in the scriptures. That's right. Salvation is real. Yeah. It's a miracle. Um, and you, you won't ever lose it. And if you don't act on it right now, it's okay because it'll work its way out eventually. Yeah, it's going to. Yeah. It's absolutely going to. Well, it, it, it's it's kind of human biology. What's on the inside works its way out. What we think is eventually going to f- affect how we feel. God wired the body to work that way. And so when he promises in this new covenant to take out a heart that's broken and put in a heart that works right, his, and he even says then I will cause you to walk in my way. It's not like it it, it can't stay in. Yeah. It has to come out because you're just different on the inside, right? right? So, yeah, whether you come down an aisle, stay in your seat, at some point that's going to work itself out. Yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones tells a story in one of his books about a, about a pastor. And I hope I haven't already shared this story. If I have, forgive me. But a pastor um, that has a meeting. The meeting, there weren't as many decisions as he thought there ought to be. He's describing why, and he says, well, there was 30 minutes of hymn singing at, after the end of my sermon. And that 30 minutes of hymn singing, with everybody just sort of, they, they lost the focus, they lost the emotion. And by the time that was all over, people didn't come down. Mm. And Lloyd-Jones makes the point, well, if 30 minutes of hymn singing will prevent the Spirit of God from like regenerating someone's soul, right? Then what in the world is going on? <laughs> right. That couldn't have been it. Right. Right. That's right. And so that's sort of the logic of the altar call: come now or forever hold your peace. That's no. not really the way it works. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's just not how God works. Yeah. God works in His own timing, yeah. and and from the moment of a person's being reborn yeah. to that somehow working itself out publicly, He's in charge of that, and it's going to happen. Right. Absolutely. I think, and what that does for the church, it's got massive implications for the church, the community of the kingdom, and it's got massive implications for people from the outside looking in. For the reason you just described, you, a person goes to the front, they have this emotional experience it's like visibly emotional right something happens and then the next week they have no power to overcome sin right their life doesn't change at all right 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 and so the the outsider looks at that and goes "Hmm, well if that's salvation if that's what this business of god giving people a new heart and causing them to walk in his ways either the bible's not true yep or that won't work for me either because it didn't work for them. Right. And the church is filled with this mixture of people who are born again and people who are still spiritually dead. And you don't, they all say they're born again. It's just, it's very confusing. It and is. It's not healthy for the body. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's good. And so, and so that, that's a, that's a, a false assurance. Mm-hmm. They, there was this thing to happen. 
I, I, I hate to use the language of check the box, but it is kind of a check the spiritual box off, and so we're good, right? So that's a false assurance. What about the idea of backsliding? That also is a culturally uh, charged term for us. Yeah. What is backsliding? Well, so we have to we have to come up with a term for what happens right. to these people. Right. right. So your 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 cousin or your uncle or your your sister or brother or whatever and. Um, you know, you were there the Sunday when they were 12 and they walked the aisle and they gave their life to the Lord after after a week of vacation Bible school. Yet, from the time they were 14 until now, they're 35. They they haven't ever walked with the Lord. Right. So so how, what do you say about that? Like this person's born again. Right. Yet they they don't have they don't bear any of the fruit that the Scripture says over and over and over again. Right. That a born again person is supposed to have. Right. Well, what do you, what do we do with that? Well, we have to come up with something. So we just say that they're backslid. Right. They couldn't. They can't not be born again. Right. That can't be it. Right. We watched them walk the aisle. Right. So they're just backslid. Right. And so they're they've they've turned their back on the Lord for a while, but they're going to come back. Right. That's a it's a heresy. Yeah. That's right. It is. It's a complete heresy. The The image I, I have is uh, we used to have, we called them the dirt mounds in our neighborhood. And it's where the neighborhood was being further developed in the backside. Right. And we all had dirt bikes, and but they're big mounds of dirt. And when it was really wet, we like to go try to climb those in our dirt bikes. And, and a couple of times me included, would get to almost the top and not quite be able to get over the top, and we would slide back down that oh, thing, usually hopefully slide. staying upside, uh, upright or on our backs, yeah. but we would backslide. But there's this, <laughs> there's this idea that, that, uh, that I did not have what it took to get to the top, and so by sliding back down, I evidenced I was not Hurricane Hannah. I was not a great motocross rider, right? I did not have that skill, and so, and so that backsliding down that mud hill was evidence that I, I'm no, I'm no motocross rider. I'm Johnny come lately, just up in the front of the neighborhood trying to, trying to have some fun. Yeah. So there's, so you get this image that all in the church, right? We know all these people in the church whose lives are really just one poor decision after another. Right. It's not that they're struggling. It's just, they're they're systematically consistently just making poor decisions. That's right. Um, And the notion that they're saved and they're in the faith and they're one of us. Yeah. It flies right in the face of what what First John tells us. Absolutely, about a believer. Absolutely, I think it's interesting that we create language that's really not a Bible language to prop up bad theology in the first place. Isn't that crazy? You know, we're, yeah. we have to create a word for it. Well, I saw them. They prayed the prayer. They walked down front. So they did the altar call, and now they're living like this. So. That doesn't jive with this theology I've created. Yeah, so, so either the Bible's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Or, um, we, or we've got to come up with some way to, to justify this. That's why you and I keep talking about it over and over and over again. In every podcast, it always comes back to what do the scriptures? That's say? right. That's right. That's right. And there, First John three one to ten is just about as explicitly clear as it can possibly be. Yeah. There are two teams. You're the child of God or a child of the devil. Mm-hmm. And he uses, let me start for the nerddom here, but the, the, the verbs are present, active, indicative. Mm-hmm. Those who sin, those whose life is presently, actively marked by sin, belong to Satan. Right. Those whose lives are marked by righteousness belong to God. Yeah. It's that, it's that clear. Two teams. Yeah. And the, the language is even, 
scarier in relation to this notion of backsliding because these are people who John is saying were with us. Yeah. Like these people appeared. That's right. At some point. Which means that someone's some you know this this initial experience seems legitimate. Like it seems like something something happened. Absolutely. But but then later they just completely sort of turn their back. And what what John says is like look look at they it looked like they were with us. Yeah. But then the fact that they left us means that they never they never were with us. It's absolutely devastating. It's not that they were and walked away. Right. It's clear. They never were with us. That's exactly right. Which which makes me nervous for our climate because um I we this is not on our list to talk about, but it's coming to mind instantly because I'm thinking of specific examples that we can't mention here. Mm-hmm. But if you try to deal with the deceitfulness of sin, and the option is to run away and go somewhere else where it can stay hidden, that's what I think of when John said they went out from us because they were not of us. Mm-hmm. And they went out as proof that they're on that other team. Yeah. And and what makes me nervous is what about those places that receive that? Yes. That take it in with no questions asked. You're talking about other fellowships. Other, other fellowships. They leave this church because of sin, because of issues that are going on in their life. Maybe that got uncovered. It got brought to light. They leave. They go to another fellowship and no one ever asked the question. Never asked the question. Where, why are you here? Like, which are you in good standing with a previous fellowship before you came here? Yeah. No never asked the question. Never asked the question. Are you here on mission? Were you sent by Paul and Apollos to come and 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 lift us up and help us walk this walk, or are you a weed that's sown among the wheat? Yeah. So flesh that out just for a second about what, like, practically speaking, what should happen. Right. When I leave church in in Rome, Georgia, because I've moved to Louisville and I show up at a church in Louisville and I say, we want to join your fellowship. Right. Well, you know, Paul, Paul in his letters said, uh, watch out for Alexander the coppersmith because he did me much harm. Mm. So there there was this sense and not a sense. There was a warning. Mm -hmm. This guy who said he was on my side actually harmed the work. Watch out for him. And then Jude, watch out for these people. They're like, man, they're Balaam, right? They're, these are hidden reefs. <laughs> you know, these, these, watch out for these people. And so what should happen, and I think, I think poor, a poor understanding, a weak understanding of church membership mm-hmm. is, a, is, a, is a barrier. It's a false assurance. I'm a, I'm a member of a church. I'm going to come to worship. I even come consistently. Heck, I might even come every Sunday and serve. I work in a ministry, yeah. right? But, but, but this idea that, that I can cover over my weedness with service yeah. and even church attendance, that's Matthew 7, 21 to 23, if I've ever seen it. Yeah. So what should happen is if a person leaves here and another church receives them, that church should go, hey, so-and-so has come to join. I've got a letter on my desk over there from a fellowship that actually does this. Yeah. And they're actually a Three Rivers guy who we trained and sent out who's a pastor of this church. He sent a letter and said, hey, what about these people? And our response is they were members in good standing. They love the Lord. And, man, they're, we say amen yeah. to them joining you. Yeah. That's the way it should happen. Yeah, nobody's—you you don't have the power to say this person's 
got no issues in their life. Right. What you can say is, look, as far as we know, yeah, this person served the Lord faithfully because the truth is people come out from churches where there's known issues. Right. They left because of those issues. Yep. And we let them go because it was easier to let them go than to actually deal with it. Right? Because <laughs> right? this is hard. It's hard work. And then people yeah. think you're a jack leg because how dare you not be gracious? Yeah. As though allowing sin to pillage someone's life is gracious. Yeah. And when you say we let them go because it was easier, you're not saying that's our practice. No, that's no, not our practice. That's what most people, most churches <laughs> yeah. will do. Yeah. The harder work is to call someone out, Yeah. have someone deal with their sin, and, and just follow the biblical example of what church discipline looks like. Because the whole point is, it's, it's out of love that you're doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, sin not, will kill. Yeah, you're not you're not calling these people to count. No. Because you hate them. You're, no. you're doing it because you love them. The wages of sin is death. I'll take Piper. I read a I read an article Piper wrote about dealing with sin in the in the fellowship. And and there was a husband. He was leaving his wife, and he was coming to Piper, going, "Man, I." I need some counsel going through this divorce. And Piper said, go back to your wife. Mm. He's like, no, 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 but we don't get along. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You're going to go to hell. (laughs) And the man's response to him, are you telling me I'm not a Christian? He's going, if you leave your wife for no biblical reason, you're not a Christian. I don't want you to go to hell, repent, and go back to your wife. And his whole point in this article was you cannot do those things. And be allowed by your fellowship to do them without the understanding that this is a false assurance. Just because you say you're saved or jump through any of these spiritual hoops we've created does not mean you're in. The evidence is you're going to love your wife. There's no biblical reason for you to leave your wife. You better get home or you are going to hell. The notion of that makes um, me—it brings me great comfort and joy to know that there's— there's this system or institution around me as a fallen person right. that's going to help me. Yes. Because I, only by the grace of God, um, I haven't done something just awful. But the, the, the good news for me is because of the body of Christ and the way it's yeah. set up, if I begin to go rogue, I'm going to have to jump over all sorts of barriers. And yeah. As a member of Three Rivers. That's right. This may not be true for every church, but as a member of Three Rivers, I'm going to have to work really, really hard to continue in my sin. Yeah. Um, yep. Y'all, our church isn't going to just no. stand by and go, man, praying for you. Yeah. No, no, it's going to have to be dealt with. That brings great joy yeah. and comfort to me. Yeah, and, and I think the only way that brings joy is because we're different. We reckon because God's made us different. Yeah. If I had a cold, dead heart in me, I would want to cover that up. Right. Uh, I don't want that to be dealt with. Yeah. I want to. I want to save face. But because I have a live heart that hates sin, yeah. I don't want. I don't want it to kill me. Because I really believe it will kill me. I mean, physically, it will take out my life at some point. I, and yeah. I do not. I don't want to die and go to hell, Keith. <laughs> so a barrier. Um, yeah. A barrier to um, identifying false assurance. So a, a barrier, something that would keep me from realizing. Right. That I'm not born again. Um, that would prevent me from getting to Jesus one day and Him saying, "Not only I don't know you, but you're a worker of lawlessness." Right. A barrier to that is a, is a system that continually and no matter what affirms me. That's right. And tells me that, man, just be you. You you do what you got to do. Man, if you need to leave your wife, we understand. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. We love you. Yeah. You know, if if we wouldn't be we wouldn't love you if we didn't tell you that that's something that we're going to be with you anyway. No, the, the, the system that's going to save me 
is a system that's going to hold me to the standard that's clear in the Bible. That's right. That's it. And 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 not having that is an absolute false assurance. I've got this thing that affirms me, said they love me, wants the best for me, affirms my decision I made, and they're just going to stand by me. They're going to show me grace. Yeah. And, and I've shown up at your church now, and you guys are looking at me like I'm a sinner and trying to tell me I'm wrong, and that doesn't feel very loving at all. Right. Well, no. <laughs> it's actually the most loving yeah. thing we could do for you. Yeah. Imagine going to a, a cancer clinic and no one ever gets a diagnosis of cancer. <laughs> right. Because right. Everybody feels so bad for these people who, yeah. are, who are eaten up with cancer. Hey, don't, and they don't, don't tell them. Yeah, don't, don't tell them. Don't tell them. Um, man, it's just going to be real hard on them. Yeah. Tell them. Give them some drugs for pain and just tell them it's going to be okay. The, the right thing to do, the kind thing to do is just... Um, Let's just do something palliative for them, make them feel good. Right. That's it. And and that's not the solution. Yeah, it'd be the worst. That'd be the worst thing you could ever imagine. Absolutely. All right, Keith, what about um what about the idea of perseverance? We've kind of hit on that a little bit. We haven't said the word, but it's kind of implicit in the idea of of some of the things we're talking about. What is perseverance and how how can that be a false assurance? Yeah, so perseverance simply means that it is it is the, the, the one saved, always saved. Right. There's a lot of nuance to that. Um, there's a lot that can be said. But we believe that just like someone who's raised from the dead and is alive, they can't slip back into... The, the kind of life we're talking about is eternal, right? I mean, the Bible is very right. clear that right. uh, Jesus came so that we would have eternal life. He right. died for us so we have eternal life. We placed our trust in Him. Well, eternal life is just that. It's eternal. You, it doesn't go in and out. Right. Right. Um, so perseverance means that those who are born again, raised to life in Christ, will persevere. That's right. They will not fail to continue in their faith. And we're not saying perseverance itself is a false assurance. We're saying perseverance is an indicator of yeah. newness, right? Yeah. So what what we're saying is perseverance means you will you will persevere. So it's this doctrine that that we believe that if you're born again you'll you'll never lose your salvation. Jesus says, I will never lose those that that the Father has given to me. Right. Very straightforward. That's right. Um he will bring to work. He will finish what he has begun. Okay. Right. Um, but that that doctrine um, can be tricky if someone has an experience yeah. that that isn't legitimate. It's not a true salvation experience. That's right. Yet they tag it with it was, and therefore it doesn't matter what I do. Right. You, you can't lose your salvation. Yeah. They take the word perseverance and tack it onto a false experience. And I'm persevering with yes. this experience, which shows the interrelatedness to all these things. Oh, yeah. So it's perseverance in the wrong thing right. that is the false assurance. Yeah. That's so, devastating. Yeah. And, you know, we, we look at the scriptures. The scriptures, uh, thankfully for us, help us see what it looks like to be born again. Obviously... You're born again because you're in Christ, and Christ is in us. So our the example of the Word made flesh is Jesus. So the person who's born again over time begins to look more and more like Christ. That's right. Does that person, you know? So so what? what the question is: Well, if backsliding is not a real thing, what do you then? Why isn't why aren't Christians perfect? Right? If I meet a ninety-year-old Christian who was saved at ten, that person ought to be. Pretty dang perfect by now. Right. Well, no, that's not it either. And so that's where it gets really tricky. Okay, well, Thompson, you're telling me that uh, someone who's saved exhibits these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, all these all these 
fruits yet. I know I don't know anybody. I don't know one single person. The godliest person I know is consistently walking in love, mm. and joy, right, peace, and patience. No, what the Bible is saying, I think, is and what what we're trying to say here is that a person who is born again is changed, and they're changed forever. They literally see the world different. Mm. So their life is marked by a pattern of spirit-filled living. Right. Um, the, do these people ever lie? Yeah, these people are, are tempted and they, they sin, right? Right. But when they sin, there's a brokenness that happens. Right. If someone is confronted, like if, if someone's in sin, like, you know what? Uh, if, if I'm involved in something, you know I'm involved in it, you know it's wrong, my wife knows it's wrong, my best friend knows it's wrong, the elders in the church know it's wrong, and you confront me about it, and I utterly just reject you guys. That's just nonsense. You guys are just coming to, you're, you're attacking me. Right. That's a very, it's a, a yellow flag and maybe a red flag that this person, the Spirit of God's not in them. Mm. We're coming to them in the Spirit to say, look, man, these, these are prob- this thing's problematic and it's been going on in you for a while. If I, it, what should happen at that point is the Spirit of God in me. Right. Because He is in me. Right. It should break me. Yeah, that's right. Maybe not the second you tell me, but at some point, soon after, yeah, there should be a response in me of brokenness because of the sin that's in my life. Absolutely. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and then blessed are those who mourn. There's a sense of uh, progression through these beatitudes of, of that should be present as attitudes of the kingdom that when hit with that, because I hate sin and I see that I've been deceived by sin, there should be a mourning. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. I was taken captive by the deceitfulness of sin. I've been blind to that. Yeah. And you just rescued me from that. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, so what do you do with Paul? Paul's the, he was the apostle, right? He, and he's, he's later in his life, he's saying things like, gosh, I, I, I find myself doing the things I don't want to do. And I find myself not doing the things that I should do. Well, isn't that proof that a person can backslide and be born again? That's not what Paul's saying. That's right. Paul's yeah. not saying I've lost my way. Right. Paul's saying I'm still struggling. There's there's this struggle yeah. in us as long as we're in this life yeah. between the, 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 the flesh and between the spirit. That struggle continues and right. we, we lose sometimes. But there's not this pattern of living that looks like a lost person. You don't smell like a dead person all the time. Right. There is a fragrance of Christ in your life over time. That's right. That's and so, huge. And Paul, you know, Paul... Even though Paul said that about himself, about his struggles, he, he was still bold enough several times in the Scripture to go, imitate me. Yeah. Paul was confident enough about his life, and this, I don't think this was arrogance. We, yeah. I don't think we should take it as arrogance. We should take it as when a person's born again, right. there should be some confidence in their life that they're telling unbelievers, look, watch me live right. and try to be like me. Yes. Um, I, I believe that a Christian ought to examine their life. And they ought to see their lives, and there should be a marked difference between an unbeliever and a believer. Absolutely, got to be. Absolutely, that's huge. Okay, let's hit uh, let's hit let's hit one more, and then then we'll work toward wrapping up. We're going to get the end of our time. Well, th- the idea of inherited faith. Yeah. This is strange for us. I don't think if you ask, I think if you ask anybody in our town. If they just believed that the faith was inherited, you just flatly asked them that, they would probably say, well, I, I don't think so. Yeah. But when you look at how it operates, there is almost this sense, and we say it, we, I think our language sometimes betrays us when, when we 
when we speak about our Christian heritage and move on as though it's just assumed, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a sense in which I talk to some people and, and they will flat out admit it. And that nobody, and I think the level of deception, and that's an arrogant thing I know to say, because it's like I see and they, maybe they don't, but it, maybe it depends on the deception. Mm-hmm. They will actually say sometimes, my grandmother, my grandfather, and me. Mm-hmm. Um, refer to the church that their family's been member of, been members of for for generations. And you ask, are you a Christian? Yes. Why? Because my family, yeah. and and that is built into cultural Christianity. So the faith somehow is inherited, and really, these things that we do are are more um, ceremonies to celebrate what already is. Yeah. They're they're externals that we just do culturally that prove. I'm part of one of these who have inherited this faith. In a very real way, it's kind of circumcision to Judaism. These external symbols are just the evidence that this is what I've been born into. Yeah, and I think it's it's easier to believe, and I... Sticking my neck out there a little bit, but it it is easier to believe in some denominations than than others. That's sort of almost like, you know, there's this, um, there's a visible church and there's an invisible church and that they're... You know, I, I grew up in the church. Right. Are you are you a Christian? Well, man, I grew up in the church. Right. Well, well what's that got to do with it? <laughs> right, right. Uh, you're in the garage, but you're not a car. Oh, that's the old, you know, that just because you're in the garage doesn't mean you're a car. Right. Um, just because <laughs> right. you're in the church, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you that's were right. dedicated as a child yeah. um, in front of the church, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. Um, yeah. Th- there's the, the script. We've, we've talked about this a bunch. The scriptures are clear about a, how a person becomes a Christian. That's right. But, yeah. This notion that, and it, it works itself out almost, it's, it's so deceptive because you, you don't even think about, that's why I think I'm a Christian. Uh, you don't even, you never really connected the dots. I think I'm a Christian because I grew up in the church. No, it's just like, it was so much a part of what you did culturally. That's right. That it just, it must be who I am. Yeah, absolutely. It's the proof. Right. It's the proof of who I am. And that is not at all the way the Bible describes right. this, this, this transfer that happens. When a person goes from a um, a person under God's wrath to a person under God's uh, grace and and mercy, that's right. I tell my my sons um, frequently, just because your church witnessed you being baptized as a as a young man, um, is no evidence that you belong to the Lord. Mm-hmm. The evidence you belong to the Lord is the daily turning to Him when nobody's looking. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who've been baptized in front of a lot of other people, and they don't walk with the Lord. Mm. And that external symbol is there as a public statement of yeah. what you are saying has happened on the inside. But if what's happening on the inside of you isn't matching that public statement, that public statement means nothing. Yeah. It's worthless. You got wet, and it meant absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And so just because we walk through the symbols— and maybe, maybe, gosh, I took the Lord's Supper. I take it every Sunday. I've been baptized. Is no indicator of anything if the inside is not matched up with it. Yeah, it has the potential to mean a lot. Yes, you know, baptism and a profession of a public profession of faith has the potential to absolutely to mean all sorts of things. Powerful. It's very powerful. It's it's part of what Jesus has sort of described that we're supposed to do. That's right. Um, you know, I. There's, there are all these great stories in church history of, of how 
sort of these, these circumstances that happened that tell us what was going on inside the mind of a believer back in the day. And there's, there's this one story I remember. Uh, I can't even remember when it was. It was sometime, you know, 16, 1700. You've got this, this girl who's 16 years old. Um, she's made the decision to give her life to the Lord. Her friends, her two or three friends, have not right. done that yet. Right. Even though they've grown up in a world that's that's very religious, the girls haven't done this, and they're involved in some things that the church is not happy about. And the girl, at the baptism, the story goes that she's walking out into the water, and her friends are crying mm. because she essentially is saying to them, "I'm I'm about to start a new life, and it it's not going to be like the life we once knew." Wow! And she essentially is having to say to her friends, "You know, I'm." T- I'm sort of turning my back on that life, and her friends knew what that meant for their relationship. It was a it was a bit of a breaking, right? Yeah. But there was she knew there was no way she could go out and get baptized, make a profession of faith in front of all those people, right? And it not change her relationship with those mm. other girls. Wow. There's something significant that happens when we make that profession of faith. That's right. But you look at you open up the book of Hebrews and you start reading through Hebrews, and there's these warning passages that right. just happen over. And over and over again. Right. And the warnings aren't don't lose your don't turn you know, don't lose your faith or don't lose your salvation. The right. warning signs are if you're not seeing signs right. that you're born again, right, there may be trouble. That's right. And it it's all throughout the book. That's right. If I mean if someone thinks this that we're full of nonsense and, and like these guys are nuts. <laughs> right. Pick up the book of Hebrews, read all the way through it. And you will see this common theme. That's right. Beware that you have been deceived. Maybe right. you're not born again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and lest anybody think we're advocating for a person losing their salvation, hear us clearly. Those who are in Christ, He has made perfect forever those who come to Him in faith. Yes. He lives forever to make intercession for them. Yeah. When the heart has been transformed by the gospel and repentance and faith has happened, there is no way that person ever loses the love of God. They are forever kept. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. However, that is evidenced by a continual hating of sin, turning from sin, learning to hate sin more and love Christ more, it's a life of constant examination mm-hmm. and recognizing the indicators that I'm in the faith. And because I'm in the faith, I, I have to learn to hate. I mean, Paul even says in Romans chapter 8, unless you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you don't have the Spirit of God. Yeah. So there are, these in, there are these markers, man, that I'm in the faith, and i got to put a sword in that deed lest it spring to life and take me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, Hebrews talks about land that's, that's drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop mm. useful to those whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is in the context of salvation. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you're not producing thorns and thistles. If you look at your life and there's thorns and thistles all over the place. Yeah. And you're in the middle of the fellowship drinking the rain. It's coming. You're witnessing it. You're yeah. you're, you're experiencing the grace of God that might have been yours. Yeah. Yet you're producing thorns and thistles? That's impossible. Yeah. 
You need to check yourself. <laughs> Who's going to check me? Holy, Sp- faith, yeah. Holy Spirit is checking me, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, Keith, you got any final word, anything you want to hit in regard to um, false assurance? Yeah, just that it's, it's incredibly, uh, it's a very, very serious thing. Yeah. Um, the passage that I spoke on this week came out of Second Corinthians, and Paul basically said, look, examine yourselves. He's speaking yeah. to a church. He's talking to people in the church. Right. And these people are struggling. There's all sorts of signs that things may not be well, right? And he's saying, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, because it's possible that you could fail the test. Yeah. He's, he's talking to people that he loves. He knows these people very well. He spent a lot of time with them, corresponding with them a lot. And he says, listen, it's possible that you guys are not in the faith. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the one of the things that pastors do, Mitch, sometimes to get a bunch of decisions right. is they try to scare everybody. They try to make everybody there feel like they're lost. Right. That's not what we're trying to do. Like, no. There's a bunch of folks who are going to hear this. The intent isn't for anybody who's born again to start being afraid or anything like that. Yeah. But there's there's a great chance that somebody listening to this is lost. That's right. They're headed down a path to where they're going to stand before Christ one day and he's going to he's going to say to them, "I never knew you." All we're saying is examine yourself. If if Christ is there, right. It's going to be okay. You you're going to you're going to be comforted. Yeah. You're going to have this wonderful sense that praise the Lord for God's grace in my life. That's right. But if you don't, yeah. feel that. Um, do some business get yep. with your pastor, get in touch with one of us, get with the scriptures and get in front of the Lord and, and just set things straight. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is as much as there is in scripture to encourage the, the confidence that we have in Christ, there is also enough there to make us make sure we are in Christ. Yeah. Don't take it for granted. Never assume. Um, you know, Zechariah uh, has this vision of Joshua standing before the high priest and Satan standing next to him to accuse him to the Father. And, and there's this sense in which... Um, uh, we have to go. It, it, we always say this, and we feel bad about saying it because it's all. It's like we harp on it. We have to go back to the scriptures, right, and recognize that we have to evaluate whether or not this is coming from Satan to accuse me of my past. And then we run to the cross and say, "Lord, that has been dealt with. Mm-hmm. I know you dwell in me. Yeah. I'm I'm repentant. I'm not living in that anymore." So that's Satan. You have to distinguish between that and. I'm still in that. Yeah. And I actually love that. Yeah. And I Jesus is my mascot, kind of hoping I can skate by. Those are two different things. Yeah. Satan's always going to bring bring up our past, but that's when we recognize how hey, I'm actually standing before the Lord <laughs> and he loves me and he cares for me because that's in my past. Yeah. That's how you know it's Satan. But man, if you're in it and love it, and Jesus is kind of standing off to the side. You got to examine yourselves because that would be a terrible thing to stand before the Lord and realize He was your mascot, not your king. Good word. And and so we hope you guys are listening, and uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, Keith, thanks for the good conversation. It's always a blast. And uh, man, we'll see you next week. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.